Father God, I want to release the word of freedom over this house. Yeah, I embrace and believe in the freedom that you've given us through Jesus Christ. But I also want to empower the body of Christ to release freedom in their lives. To make our marriages, our kids, our friends, our jobs free. To not just be people who are free because of what Jesus has done, but people who give freedom to others. I pray that you'd bind spirits of controlling others. I pray that you'd bind spirits of unforgiveness. And I pray that you would release the power of freedom and forgiveness and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys look so serious. It's me, isn't it? I got that grumpy look on. I did that on purpose. I just wanted to look grumpy. So uh, a few weeks ago in our State of the Church address, we invited you to help us pray. And uh, that was not an empty request. Um, And so I'm going to reiterate it today, and I want to tell you to expect more invitations into a more... um, committed way to pray for the future of ordinary faith uh, in regard to what God would have us do about a facility and about uh, what it means for us to be a a church that operates more as Jesus Ecclesia rather than just, uh, you know, just a a normal church. We want to be an abnormal church. So uh, I just want to keep that out there until we can get something to invite you into at the moment and uh, just praying about how God can solidify that uh, request into prayer, okay? So, kind of an announcement thingy there. So, let's get into awkward today, and let's make it weird as soon as possible. You guys ready to get weird? Yeah! (laughs) All right, good deal. I love it, I love it, I love it. You know, I just, one of the things I really want to do for the body of Christ, every chance I get and everywhere I get to go and share, is I, I want to... I want to empower and release the body of Jesus to do what Jesus does and to do what Jesus did when he was here. And I think of that in every way that Jesus operated. I think of it in the miraculous. I think of it in forgiveness. I think of it in, uh, in freedom. And that's kind of, today we're talking about the power of words and how that we as the body of Jesus do not have to use the same kind of words as the culture in which we live. We don't have to do things like everyone else does things. We should make things awkward in a good way. And that's what we want to talk about today because the world has changed. And man, I wish I knew how to get this through to myself and everybody in the body of Christ and every church that's out there. The world is changing. I grew up in church in the 70s and 80s. And we did church a certain way. I liked a lot of the things that we did back then. But the world has changed. Facebook wasn't around, so smartphones weren't around. Back then, if you were on the phone, you were tied to a wall. Things have changed. And now you have a phone you carry with you everywhere, and you never make phone calls on it. (laughs) Things have changed, and the the body of Christ has changed. We've moved, and and there are good good things and bad things, and and we have to to be wise. And this is is something that's just... uh, 
Jesus did not call us to come into this world and live under the new covenant under a set of rules. And I am sick of people who call themselves Christians handing Christians books of rules. Rules that we abide by today, I think they come from the darkness and not from God. Here's my argument. God gave 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. 613 laws. Sounds like a lot of laws. I hear you. There are more laws than that that govern your trip to Walmart. I mean, the laws that, that came out when Obamacare was instituted were on 27,000 pages. Thousands of pages. What am I trying to say? People want rules so they can control other people. And Jesus said, the Bible said, Paul said that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And we don't need to live by rules. We need to live by wisdom that comes by the Holy Spirit. There aren't enough rules to help you get through every situation you're going to face. There's always going to be an exception to the rules. There's always going to be a need to break the rules. It's always going to be that way. Rules stink. Now I'm not here to give you rules. I'm actually here to set you free. I think rules are about controlling people, not about freedom. And I think we live in a world that's headed off of a cliff. Here's why. We've rejected God as a society worldwide. There isn't a Christian nation left on the planet. And if you believe America is, I'll be happy to buy you a cup of coffee and listen to you. And say nothing, because obviously you're not seeing what I'm seeing. I don't believe there's a Christian nation on this planet. They have rejected God, and here's what I believe as a follower of Jesus and as a believer in God's word. I believe you cannot reject God and not go insane. You reject, you have a creator. It puts you in a crazy place. The Bible says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. You can't reject God and stay sane. And so we as Christians, our job is to get out of the way, warns but not be dragged off the cliff with them. Wisdom. We have to learn how to live in this world. The Bible says this in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. This is a favorite verse I share with all my sons. And you should talk about it with your kids. Because the Bible says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you'll become as foolish as they are. Very next verse. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they'll become wise in their own estimation. Some of you are going, well, that's why I don't read the Bible right there. (laughs) What the heck does that mean? Tell you what it means. It means you need wisdom. It means that some fools you need to avoid and some fools you need to answer, and it takes wisdom to know which fool is which. (laughs) It's It's a good thing that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And it's a good thing that Jesus inhabits you. Here's something Jesus said that's problematic for how the church does things today and how Christians do things today. Jesus said, don't waste what's holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Say, Michael, I don't like where this sermon's going. You're going to like where we land. You're going to like where we land. But I'm trying to lay a couple of cases here. And I need you to see that it takes wisdom to get through in this life. It takes wisdom from another place. The world is all about knowledge and very little about wisdom. And 
How do I know if I'm supposed to give something holy? It takes wisdom. There are no rules. There is wisdom. Does that make sense? And we need to understand that words mean things. And now, more than ever, in the history of Christianity, in the history of Christendom, we need to realize as believers how important words are because we are at the first time in history in a place where words are so much more than words. I scroll through my Facebook feed and I encounter tens of thousands of words, but they may not be letters. They might be, no one knows how to pronounce this. They might be gifs slash gifs, however you want to, whatever you want to call them. By the way, the guy who created them wanted them to be called gifs. I found this this week because he wanted it to remind him of peanut butter. I'm not kidding. So, if you're sitting there going, no, I want this argument to continue, go right ahead, because I don't care. All I know is the Pixar moves. The Pixar moves. That's so cool. And it came out when I was a young man. And back then, we didn't know what to call them either. We're like moving pictures. You share these things on a feed. They're images that move. They have words on them. And, and what did they used to say? A picture's worth a thousand words. Well, what's a moving picture worth? What's a video worth? What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you words mean things, and nowadays we are using more words than we've ever used. Because we're not just writing a sentence, we're sharing an image, and that image is worth a thousand or more words. We have to be wise. We can't just keep plugging along like the fools in the world. And I'm not trying to insult anyone. I'm just saying... We are, as followers of Jesus, have to live with wisdom and we have to understand that, that our lives are made of words, that words mean things, fools twist things, and we don't want to get dragged down that path. Does that make sense? Yeah. See how important this is? At, at a time like this, we, these are the kind of conversations Christians need to be having, and we need to be having them with our kids as well. Yeah. You're not just sharing a picture. You're sharing words. You're sharing things that mean things. And you need to make sure that they mean what you think they mean. Right? Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and and innocent as doves. Here's my goal for today. A couple of them. One, before we're done today, I I want you... To bless somebody. So as I'm giving this message, I want you to think about who could I bless in this room, or maybe it's someone's not in this room, maybe it's someone I need I need to call or send a text to or something, but I want you to think of who can I bless today. And as we work through the message, hopefully it will give you some inspiration as to how to do that. The other thing is I want to abandon the language of the world in which I live. I want us to stop being influenced and corrupted by a world that's twisted. And I want us to start influencing and encouraging the world that we live in, particularly each other. I want us to bring power and freedom into the world, not control, not fear, not judgment, criticism. I want us to bring power and freedom. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. We'll jump in. That was introduction. 
And uh, I, I'm not, I'm going to resist an urge to make a joke about the length of the message as I do every week. And you were expecting it, but there I didn't make the joke, and so therefore I made the joke by not making the joke. So, Ephesians 4.25. So stop telling lies. Stop telling lies. There it is. For you guys who have a liar in your life, there's your verse. Write it down. You can send it to him, okay? Stop telling lies. Let us. You need to see where Paul goes with that. Stop telling lies, let us. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. This is one of the more mature and powerful churches in the New Testament. And he's not saying, stop the liars. He's not pointing out there. He's pointing in here. Let us. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let's begin with what kind of words we use, and let's use words that speak the truth. Words that speak the truth. I probably don't mean this like a lot of people who have taught you on truth mean it. What I mean for you is for you, for me, to tell the truth. And, and I want to begin but with this question. Why do we lie so much? Now I know you're sitting there going, no, no, Michael, I don't lie. Right. Um, <clears throat> we do. We lie a lot. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up about the white lies you tell right now. But I do want to point a couple things out, all right? We lie a lot. Now, some of the reasons we lie are cultural. Like, people say, hey, how are you doing? We say we're fine, and we're not really fine. But, in all fairness, when people say, hey, how are you doing, that's not a question about your well-being. That's just a greeting. Okay? So that's, you're not expected to stop, pause, and, and dump your garbage on somebody at that moment. Well, I'm actually terrible today, and I need a hug. Can you help me out? And I need $100, too. <laughs> I promise you, you do that, they will never ask you how you're doing again. All right? We do it all the time because of our culture and the way that we're in. But, and, and, and those questions, like they're social greetings, but there are other ways we lie that are actually more dangerous. I, you know, the greeting thing is just a greeting. Let it go. However, there are ways we lie that are causing us damage. And it's more in the negative, meaning we're not telling people things. We're not, telling, we're not sharing the truth that's inside of us. I've really, God has really taken me to school on this over the last five or so years. <clears throat> and it's really in my marriage that he's taken me to school on it. And it's one of the reasons I want to talk to you about it. And here's what it is. I'm a passive aggressive and a people pleaser. And in our marriage of 34 years plus now, I have kept my mouth shut about things that bothered me, that didn't sit right with me. Because I was a chicken. I'm scared of my wife. I love her to death, but she's not like me. I like that, but sometimes I don't. And so, what I have done over many years of our marriage is I've lied to her. By not telling her what I want, what I need, how I'm experiencing her, I haven't told her about me. See, when we get in an argument, I tell her about her. She tells me about me. 
And that's not the truth. I can't know the truth of her. She can't know the truth of me unless I take the truth that's in me and I tell her what it is. You know, women get accused of being the ones in the marriage who expect their men to read their minds, but that's bull. Men are the same way. We expect our wives to read our minds. And that's not fair. I've never done a wedding ceremony. It's like, do you vow to read her mind? I am going to rewrite the vows, and I'm going to make them more honest. I really am. I want one in there that says, I vow to stick around even if you annoy the crap out of me. So... And so I want to tell you that when we don't tell people how we're experiencing them, especially in relationships with our spouses, with our kids, when we hold that stuff in, we're actually lying. And we're not telling the truth. And we're not doing it out of fear. I mean, we're we're doing it out of fear. And what I mean by that is, well, if I say something, we're going to have a three-day fight. One, if you have a three-day fight, you really need marital, marital counseling. you got something toxic in your marriage. I mean, if it lasts three days, you're doing something wrong. Get some new skills. Not beating you up. I'm just giving you the facts, okay? The other thing is, what if the three-day fight leveled you up to a more honest and authentic marriage? Would it be worth it? See what I mean? What if the truth could bring you from down here? How many of you love marriage on eggshells? Isn't that nice? You come in the door. (laughs) Scamper off to your little room. I hate marriage like that. In fact, I think marriage like that is dishonoring to Jesus and the church. In fact, I think marriage like that's a lie. Because that's not how Jesus is married to the church. That's not how Jesus is pursuing the church. And that is not how it should be in our marriages. So I think we lie when we keep our mouth shut and, and I think we lie sometimes. No, I, I know we lie when we gossip, judge, slander, and criticize people. Anytime that we look at someone and say, you're not like me and, and I judge you. Now, I want to give you something, though. <laughs> Here, and this came out of our small group last week that I thought was really helpful. I know that things happen in your life that you need to process with other people and you need to vent. Okay. Do I think it's wrong to do that? No, I don't. I think you need to talk this out. I think you need to say all the venomous things that you think. That way you can hear how awful you are. (laughs) That maybe they're not all of the problem. And so, but I I do think it's okay to have a, a few people, a spouse, a close friend to do that with. However, if you're the kind of person that's looking to tell anybody who'll listen, oh, that's not good. That's a gossip. That's a slanderer and a liar. So I think when we gossip and judge and slander people and criticize people, I think we're lying. Because we're not seeing them as Jesus sees them, and I'll come back to that. I also think we lie when we withhold love, when we withhold respect, and we withhold courage from people just because they don't agree with us. I think those are all ways that we tell lies. So I don't want us to lie. I I don't want to be a liar. I want to tell the truth. What's the truth, though? Because, you know, if you've been to church a lot, if you grew up in church, then you're like, well, the truth is the gospel, it's the Bible, it's right and wrong. Sure it is. But the truth without love is not truth. And the love without truth is not love. Love. 
They are, they're, they cannot be separated. And so here's how I think we get at the truth. We need to realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not Jesus knows the way, the truth, and the life. Not Jesus knows the way to, but Jesus is. He exists as the way, the truth, and the life. So if I'm going to start telling the truth, i got to get to Jesus. i got to start seeing you. i got to see my wife. i got to see my kids as Jesus sees them. I have to love them as Jesus loves them. I have to respect and honor them as Jesus honors them. I have to free them. As Jesus sets people free. Do you understand that Jesus is all about freedom? This concept of freedom came from Jesus, not the founding fathers. Men deserve freedom not because of a political system. They deserve freedom because God created them to be free. I think our our Declaration of Independence says something along those lines. We should get that thing out, read it, and reinstitute that sucker. Sorry, that's me getting political. I think that's why freedom is so important to me. I, the enemy has a war against it, and I think what God is going to do with the enemy's war against freedom is he's going to teach us again how important it is to be free and to give freedom. So the, la- the other thing that Paul said, though, is he says, don't let anger control you. Anger is a dangerous thing. Now, I'm not saying you can never be angry. Sometimes we, we, need to, we need to respond in a righteous type anger, I am sure. The problem with anger is, is that right now the world is seething with it. Everyone's angry about what's going on, what's happened, and what they've lost. And I get it. I'm experiencing the same thing. The problem about abiding anger is it's like, it's like playing with matches while covered with gasoline. It's going to blow up on you. And it gives the enemy the foothold. And I'm here to tell you, the enemy doesn't need any more advantages in your life. So don't, don't, anger is a lie in itself that is in our life, especially when we use it to uh, overcome things and, and try to deal with our life. And anger presents itself in a lot of ways, not just rage, that passive aggressive thing, manipulation, humiliation of others, slander, even dirty language, according to Colossians 3 8. All of these echo at, at anger, and Paul tells us to strip them off. He tells us something else because they don't fit who you are anymore. That's not the truth about you, and it's not the truth about anybody in your life. And so we need to move away from that. So there's some ways we need to speak words that tell the truth. Then we also, moving on to Ephesians 4.28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Well, that's a good idea. (sighs) No politics for you. And <laughs> that's really funny if you think about it. <laughs> Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who need them. Words that give. Words that are truth. We need to tell the truth. And we need to have words that give. You see, I know Paul's primary interpretation here is don't steal. That's pretty obvious, pretty simple. 
But the way he takes the rest of the text, it also seems to imply that there's something that we're meant to give in life and that Christians are supposed to be charitable. We're supposed to be givers. And that's not just financially and of resources. In the context of words, which is what he's using in the text, we should use words that give, that bless people. I was... uh, I was, re- I was listening to a YouTube podcast by Dr. Miles Monroe about writing a few months ago. And I've shared a little bit of this, but I want to share a little bit more. He, he tells the story. He grew up in the Bahamas, uh, you know, a native of that area. And um, growing up in that area, it was ruled, it was a British colony. And he, he relates the story of how that when he grew up, they denied him as a child and his friends. They denied them an education. They denied them a history of their own land and country and people. They would only teach them British history, not the history of their area. And this was part of colonization. And he argued that what was going on was that they stole his history. And a people with no history are a people with no story. They're a people with no fathers. No ancestry, no roots, no past. And I thought about how that the enemy loves to do that. The enemy loves to steal your story, loves to steal your family, loves to steal your ancestry, loves to steal that stuff. Why? Because when he does that, he steals your identity. You don't know who you are. And and people have taken those same tactics of the enemy and stolen from other people. And so what are our words supposed to do? I think our words are supposed to give and not take. I think our words are supposed to fill and not drain. I think they're supposed to bless and not curse. So when I use words, whether those words are things that I write or things that I share, whether they're images or gifs or videos, when I use words, do they give or do they take? I think it's a question, am I stealing or am I blessing? Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36. He said, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Why did Jesus say that? That sounds serious. It sounds like words matter, doesn't it? And so I want to ask that question. Do our words bless? Do they give? Or do they take away? Do they help? Or do they harm? Imagine the good things that your words could do. Imagine, Think of the times in your life that someone showed up at just the right moment and said just the right thing that inspired you just the right amount to do something and and to step forward in faith in some area of your life. Think of the times someone's encouraged you and blessed you. You see, I've come to understand that this is what the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 is actually all about. I used to be scared of it because I used to think, oh, prophecy, telling the future, weird, (laughs) scary. And I knew a lot of prophets who were rude. And they were not gentle and they did not express the fruits of the Holy Spirit, even though... They were gifted in this way. But what I see in 1 Corinthians 14 when the Bible talks about prophecy is I see men and women and children coming and giving courage, 
hope for the future. I see prophecy as a gift, not just from God to a person, but from God through a person to bless someone else. Here's what I've found. I've been praying for someone, and God will give me a flash of something, and I'll just take that risk, and I'll share it for them, and then all of a sudden they'll be deeply moved because what they realize is that there is a God who lives and actively in this moment cares about them right now. That is awesome. I love to see it. And, and so I want us to think about this as the body of Christ, to think about how God wants to encourage people, how God wants to bless people and build people up. All the condemnation is covered by the blood of Jesus, and all that's left now is the victory and the freedom. Jesus is for people being free. And so we can help people. We can give people courage. I think Satan has a war on for your dignity. I think it started long ago, and I think you were born into the mess. But I just want you to think about how often in your life you've endured humiliation and your dignity has been taken from you. I don't want to ever be the guy who takes someone's dignity. You know what I mean? You know, we talk about bullying, and, and this is one of the things social media has shown us, is just how mean people are and how merciless people are. Someone makes a mistake, and we want to burn them at the stake. I hate that. There's a war on for your dignity, so what if I fight the war for you? What if I give you back your dignity? What, can I do that as a, as a child of God? Am I empowered enough? To, am I powerful enough to give you back your dignity? You betcha I am. Because I know the price that's been paid for you. You are worth the death of God's Son, Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything more valuable than that. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you've failed. I don't care what your mistakes are. I don't care if you got arrested this weekend and you made it to church today. There is, I don't want to humiliate you. I want you to have your dignity, man. I think Jesus died for that. And so we can use words that help, that give, that give people courage, give people dignity, and, and, and raise them up. We can begin to tell them how their Father sees them and bless them in that way. So our words need to be truth. Our words need to give courage. And our words need to be true to who God has saved us to be. In Ephesians 4.30, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. As a parent... I have eight amazing sons. Sadly, they make way too many sermon illustrations, and I feel sorry for them because of that. Any silly thing they do could end up in a message. That's a lot of pressure to grow up with. I feel sorry for them. There are times in my life that I've been so proud of them that I could burst. 
and there are times in my life that I grieved for them. And I wish they were doing things differently. At no time in my life have I ever said, I'm not your dad anymore. At no time in my life have I ever said, I'm out, I'm done with you. Never happened, never going to happen. My wife is understanding orders to put me down if I get that stupid. (laughs) She knows how to run a shovel. It's not a problem. (laughs) What I'm trying to tell you is, a lot of times our children don't live up to who they really are, and that grieves us. But we don't leave them. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it would be like to be the Holy Spirit that seals a believer. You understand what that means? That means that when God saves you, when you, when you declare Jesus as your Lord, that God seals you with the Holy Spirit. He never leaves. He's stuck with you from now on. He wraps you up and seals you. And here's the thing. Here's the challenge that I see that the Holy Spirit has. For so long, we, de- we have no idea who we really are. We walk along, calling ourselves Christians, clueless that we have authority and power to, to bring heaven to earth, clueless that we have authority and power to bless instead of curse. We, we are free because of the Holy Spirit to live in this power, and, and we don't know these things, and we don't know how to live in these things, and we hear them taught, but it takes knowing something and the revelation of something are different things. And, and all the while, here's Holy Spirit stuck to us. He'll get it someday. Michael will get it someday. I'm not leaving, though. I'm here. It makes me sad. He could be living in victory instead of shame and guilt. He could be living in freedom instead of trying to control people in his life. He, he could be living in power, and it breaks my heart, but I ain't leaving. I'm right here. You see, what you and I need to understand is that when we live in sinfulness, when we live in complaining and griping, trying to control people, when we live in the way the world does by using criticism and these merciless tools of humiliation and judgment, when we use those things, that is not who we are. We are from a new place, a new kingdom with a new system of laws, and we are powerful. And if we could ever learn to grieve that, if we ever learn to grieve the things that we don't know, the things we've done wrong, we ever learn to grieve, the Holy Spirit won't have to. You've read that passage many times, thinking about the Holy Spirit grieving. You're like, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's the answer. Grieve yourself. Grieve what you don't know. Grieve what you don't understand. Grieve the revelation you don't have yet. And let it go, because the point of grief is not wallowing in self-pity. That's not grief, that's wallowing in self-pity. The point of grief is letting go. I failed yesterday. I hurt someone yesterday. I I failed my kids, Whatever, whatever. You pick whatever's bugging you right now, and grief is, okay, it was wrong, I shouldn't have done it. And Jesus died for it. And it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's forgiven And this is one of the great rewards of my salvation. And rather than wallowing in self-pity, now I can transition to praising God for what He's done. So grief leads to praise. Holy Spirit is rejoicing. This is a powerful, powerful thing that can come out of the words that we use because we need words that admit 
are who we really are. We need words that bless the world in which we live. Words from a kingdom that we're born into, that we're headed towards. And so uh, what I want you to do today is I, I want you to take this idea of words. I want you to see how powerful and important it is, the words that we use. I want you to know that you can use those words for truth and to give and to bless and to admit who you really are. You can use words in a different way. You don't have to use them. We don't have to be corrupted by the profanity of the world that we live in. We can be free of all of that. And what I want you to do is I want you to grieve whatever is bothering you, whatever is irritating you. If you're stressed about your behavior, stressed about the state of the world, the answer is to grieve it. Grief is how you let go. Grief is how you feel what's wrong. Admit that it is wrong. And when you grieve a thing, then you can forgive a thing. And then when you can do that, you can let that go, and then you can be a blessing. And see, that's the point. We are here to bless. Didn't Jesus say, bless them that curse you? Bless and curse not? We're here to bless this world. I know there's a lot wrong with it. I get it. I know all about it. But here's what you need to know. It's already condemned. I, my condemnation isn't going to help in any way. It might hurt. Because now I'm perceived as judgmental and I'm perceived as a, as, as a witness for the enemy who's accusing people. And so my condemnation doesn't help but my blessing does my blessing does because i can look at you and i don't care what your life is like i don't care what you've done well what you've done wrong i don't care if you got lifestyle choices that i disagree with i can still love you and i can still bless you maybe maybe i'm not going to be the guy to say hey yeah just keep on sinning all you want i might not be that guy i won't be that guy but i can be the guy it says, man, your father loves you. There's a way out of this. There's a way through this. There's a way to be free and not be in bondage. And I love doing those things, but here's my favorite thing. My favorite way to bless people is I like to tell them what God sees them capable of doing. A lot of times... Uh, I'm waxing the elephant right now. I'm sorry. Um, a lot of times I'll be praying with somebody. And this is an image God gives me a lot when I pray for Christians. And, uh, and for some reason lately it's been for women a lot. I don't know what it's about. But I'll be praying for some lady, either up here or over there, or when Christian and I meet with some folks. And I will see her dressed like uh, in, in warrior stuff, like chick armor, but that actually protects you, you know. <laughs> Have you noticed the chick armor on movies that there's nothing protective about it? I'm like, what? <laughs> Do they hate women? What's going on, man? But I mean, like, I see them just dressed in this white armor, and every woman I'm seeing like, is like a warrior. When I pray, I just see these warrior women. And so I started calling them warrior queens. And, and because I think... I, I, I know there's these masculine, feminine views of what men and women can do and so forth, but I, I tell you, the, the Bible shows me that when we all get to heaven, that gender thing is not an issue. It's not a thing. And what I do see is that we all are fighting for something. That's right. And I, I know a lot, of, a lot of amazing women in my life who've, 
fought for decades for, uh, for their children, for their families, for, uh, for, for, just, I, I, for just the acknowledgement that they're fighters. You know what I mean? As silly as that may sound. And so I see this, and so I start praying this over people, and it's amazing to me what happens when people begin to see that they're not victims of the world in which they live, but they're champions over the world in which they live. Do you understand that? You're not, so stop being a victim. And that's where words come in. You and I don't have to be victims anymore. We can fight. We can fight. And how do we fight? We go out and pick a, a ball bat and club somebody? Not yet. <laughs> We start with some words. Well, actually, we started last week with some thoughts. And we let those thoughts about God and what's true about people become words that we use to build and bless. Build and bless. Build. Say it. Say build and bless. That's what I'm here to do. Everyone's got enough critics. I would like to not be one. I would like to build and bless. And that's what I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We're about to pray. That's what I want to encourage you to do today. While we're worshiping in the, these last couple of songs, if God lays on your heart and there's someone in this room you need to go to today and just bless them or just say, I love you, I just, it doesn't matter to me. Don't make it too weird. I want them to come back next week. But, you know, I want you to build and bless. You maybe need to send a text to someone. You may need to step out and make a phone call. But who can you Build and bless today. Father God, I pray that you release a spirit of blessing in the body of Jesus in this room. I pray that you would take this very practical message and help us, Lord, to apply it. I pray that it changes our week. I pray that it creates so much indigestion for the devil that he has to go to the doctor. I pray that we would build and bless everywhere we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Steve.